You're listening to the Arsenal Church Podcast. To learn more about the Arsenal, go to thearsenal.church. And if you'd like to receive more content throughout your week, feel free to download the Arsenal Church app. We're continuing our series that we've called Stories. Um, have, you, have you ever made this statement, like, that isn't fair? Or like, this isn't fair, that's not fair. If you have kids, you hear it uh, frequently. We've got, a, we've got a few kids at the house it is a statement that we hear quite a bit. Um, well, that's not fair. Why does he get to do that? And I don't. Um, it's because he listens. Uh, I'm just kidding. Oh, what's going on? Um, I'm not kidding. Um, no, it, I mean, when our kids are like, that's not fair. This isn't fair. We respond to them the same way most parents, I think, um, would respond and say it with me. Life's not fair, <laughs> right? Like life's not fair. Um, while in the, in the moment that statement doesn't help anyone, you know, my kid's not like, oh, okay, that, that makes sense. Um, thanks for that. Um, it, it's reality though, right? Like life isn't fair. Um, but I think sometimes, I'm not sure that's a bad thing, that life isn't fair. And today we're going to talk through why I think maybe life not being fair is not necessarily a bad thing. Like I said, we're continuing this, this series of talks that we've called Stories, where we're looking at the stories of biblical characters or heroes um, and how those stories might affect us today or maybe affect how we see God's love for humanity, um, how we interact with God. Some of these stories, like last week's, if you, um, if you were here Rob talked about David and Goliath. Um, he talked about David, and, and maybe these are stories that we're going to look at from different perspectives that may be different than many of us grew up with. Um, I think Rob did a great job with that last week. It should be up on the podcast t- today, he says. Uh, today. Um, you guys got to encourage Rob. Whenever it's his messages, he's like, I don't know what happened. Like, it just, it, I didn't get it up there. Um, I think he as most pastors, he's just like, ah, you know, I don't, it was a good one, Rob. You killed it. Um, it's a great one. Let's, hey, calm down. Let's not go too crazy. He's better have that same energy today. Um, <laughs> oh no, guys, can I get my laptop? Yeah, this thing keeps turning off. And it's going to drive my ADD nuts today. Um, so we're continuing this series. We're talking about biblical characters. And today we're going to talk about another story that many of us who grew up in church, we've, we've heard. We've heard this story. We've heard about this person. It's the story of Jonah and the big fish. Um, FYI, the fish is never called a whale in the Bible. Um, we just have said that because that's what we think all big fish are. Um, Jonah and the big fish. So we're going to talk about that today. Most of us heard this, yes? Give me a head nod if you've heard the story of Jonah and the big fish. For those that maybe haven't, uh, just in case, I'll give you a quick synopsis of kind of like what has happened up to the point that we're going to jump into it. So God tells Jonah um, to go to Nineveh, this other town, this other city. It's actually a big city. Uh, Go to Nineveh and, and preach to them about judgment that is coming Nineveh is this major city in the Assyrian Empire. Um, if you look at history, 
and archaeology of this area, it shows that they were, they were doing some pretty evil things to other humans, to humanity, um, the people of Nineveh. So Jonah is told to go there to preach to them. Jonah doesn't go and instead takes a boat to Tarshish, Tarshish um, which is 2,500 miles in the opposite direction, right? So he, he says, you know what, I'm going to go the other way. Um, he gets on a boat, storm comes, it's going to like destroy the boat, the sailors are like, what is happening? We need to pray to all of our gods and figure this out. They end up drawing, uh, drawing like basically drawing straws, uh, and Jonah loses. <laughs> and they're like, all right, we're going to throw you over. Uh, maybe that will appease your God. So they take Jonah, they throw him over. God actually saves him. We talked about this years back. God actually saves him. He swallows him <laughs> with his big fish. Jonah spends three days in the belly of the fish, and then he, the fish spits him out um, on dry land. And then God tells Jonah again, go to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, okay, um, I'm going to go this time. And so now you're caught up. This is what's happened. Jonah in uh, chapter 3 starts like this. Jonah 3, actually verse 3 says, Jonah obeyed the word of God, the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, sat down in the dust. This is my, the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth, which I just kind of like, hey, go cover the animals with sackcloth. Like, who got that job? Um, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So Jonah goes to Nineveh. He says, in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. You're going to face judgment of God. The Ninevites are like, okay, we believe you. Even the king is like, I believe you. We're going to, we're going to fast. We're going to put on sackcloth. We're going to take off everything. And we're just going to, we're going to say, God, we believe you. God sees it. He says, okay, good. They've turned from their evil ways. Destruction that was threatened will not happen. Today we're going to talk about Jonah and the real reason he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Um, why he ran in the opposite direction and his frustration with God in the aftermath of his trip through Nineveh. Because I think it's interesting. For those of us that grew up in church that have heard this story, um, I've got a question. Think about it. Why did Jonah not want to go to Nineveh? Why did Jonah not want to go to Nineveh? I wrote down a couple of things that I remember hearing growing up. I grew up hearing that this was a story about running from the calling of God, that God was calling you to this distant place, and, and Jonah was afraid to go. He was afraid of the Ninevites. He wanted to just do his own thing, so you know, Tarshish was much safer. He was going to go there. He wanted the easy Christian life, not the hard one he was called to. And oftentimes, it's, that's followed up with like, we're not promised an easy life, but God is with us, right? Like, there's this, there's this idea that Jonah's like, oh, like, 
God, I don't want to go there. Like, I know you're calling me to this, like, really, really bad place that needs, needs Jesus and needs to hear the word of God, but I'm going to go somewhere else because I think it's easier. And we get this idea that Jonah is just afraid and running from his calling. Anybody ever hear that? Yeah, okay. I thought I just grew up in a different church. Um, I'm getting hot talking about this. So why did Jonah not want to go to Nineveh? Why did he not want to go? That's a good question. It's actually a question that Jonah tells us or answers in the book of Jonah. He actually tells us why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He gives us his reason. In fact, at the end of chapter 3, we just read, it says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So God forgives Nineveh. And then we see Jonah's response in chapter 4. Jonah responds like this, and he tells us why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Jonah 4, verse 1, Jonah was furious. He lost his temper. He yelled at God. God. I feel like he's like, God. Like, I knew it. When I was back home, I knew this was going to happen. That's why I ran to Tarshish. I knew you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, rich in love, and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. So I didn't want to go there. Like Jonah's complaining to God about the incredible aspects of the character of God. He's like, I knew your sheer grace that you are merciful, that you're not easily angered, that you're rich in love, you're ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. I knew that if I went to Nineveh, you were going to forgive these people, and I didn't want that to happen. So I went to Tarshish. Like, he wasn't running from a calling. He was running because he didn't want these people forgiven. He's like, I don't, they don't deserve it. Those people, you're going to forgive those people? He continues. Or it continues, so God answers him. Or no, so he says, so God, if you won't kill them, kill me. I'm better off dead. If you're going to forgive these Ninevites, just kill me. I don't want to live in this, this world with these forgiven Ninevites. God says, what do you have to be angry about? Just like, I, I knew, I knew you weren't going to be fair. I knew they weren't going to get the punishment they deserve. He went so far as to say, I'd rather die than live in this unfair environment where you're just forgiven people that don't deserve it. God asked him, do, do you do well to be angry? Is this working for you? What, what, what do you have to be angry about? And then Jonah's response in verse 5, but Jonah just left. God's like, what do you have to be angry about? And Jonah just, you know, pouts and well, he, he's dramatic, right? I feel like Jonah's like super dramatic in this, in this story. Jonah just left. He went out of the city to the east and he sat down in a sulk. He put together a makeshift shelter of leafy branches and sat there in the shade to see what would happen to the city. So he goes out. God's forgiven Nineveh. He's frustrated. He's angry. And he goes and sulks. It's like my kids, right? Well, life's not fair. Oh. 
So he goes and sulks. It says that he built some kind of shade, and he's watching the city. He's like, I want to see if this is actually going to happen. One, if you're actually going to like forgive them, and two, if they're going to they're going to live this thing out. I'm going to I'm going to go watch. I don't know. That doesn't say that. I'm just assuming. So he goes and sits. Verse six. It says God arranged for a broad-leafed tree to spring up. It grew over Jonah to cool him off, and get him out of his angry sulk. Jonah was pleased. And enjoyed the shade. Life was looking up. I love, like, look, I get it. Some people don't like to preach from the message translation. I love Eugene Peterson, and I love the way he's writing this. Like, life was looking up. It just, it reads like a story to me, which is what this is. So God provides this comfort for Jonah in the midst of his pity party, right? He's like, here, let me give you, let me give you a better shade. You tried to do this. Let me give you a broad leaf tree that's going to give you shade. And obviously it worked. Because Jonah was pleased, he enjoyed the shade, and life was now looking up. Verse 7, but then God sent a worm. By dawn of the next day, the worm had bored into the shade tree, and it withered away. The sun came up, and God sent a hot, blistering wind from the east. The sun beat down on Jonah's head, and he started to faint. He prayed to die. I'm better off dead. Then God said to Jonah, what right do you have to get angry about this shade tree? Jonah said, plenty of right. It's made me angry enough to die. Like, Jonah, who hurt you? (laughs) God said, what's this? How is it that you can change your feelings from pleasure to anger overnight about a mere shade tree that you did nothing to get? You neither watered or neither planted nor watered it. It grew up one night and died the next night. So why can't I likewise change what I feel about Nineveh from anger to pleasure? This big city of more than 120,000 childlike people who don't yet know right from wrong to say nothing of all the innocent animals. End story of Jonah. Literally, that's the ending (laughs) scripture for the story of Jonah. He's like, this big city of 120,000 childlike people who don't know yet, right from like, they don't get it. And you're upset that I'm going to forgive them. You're like, why can't I forgive them? Why am I not allowed to do that? And he says, there's 120,000 people that don't understand what's happening. And I'm forgiving them. Plus all the animals, Jonah. And then that's it. Like we don't see interaction between Jonah and God any longer. That's the end of it. So God is very concerned about the animals as well. Um, And I don't know how Jonah took to this. But I think throughout this whole story, there's a question that kind of, I think for us, we can begin to ask ourselves. And a question that it's something that we can ponder on that Jonah, I think, had questions about. And it's this simple question, how good is God? How good is God? And when you think about the answer to that question, what's your response to it? How, how good is God? And you, you think in your mind, like, how good is God? Let me, let me think about how good God is. Get your response. Think, this is, this is how good you think God is. Jonah, apparently, we see in Scripture, knew how good God was. He knew how good he was before he ran off to Tarshish. That's such a hard word to say, Tarshish. He knew how good God was before he ran off. He says it. 
And then when God proves him right by forgiving Nineveh, his response was, that's not fair, God. Like, I knew, Jonah knew God was sheer grace, that he was merciful, that he was slow to anger, that he was patient, that he was forgiving. He knew it. He says it. I knew this is who you are. That's why I didn't want to go to Nineveh. And then when God does exactly what he knew God was going to do, he's like, this isn't fair, God. To the point that when he saw God forgive the Ninevites, his response was not only anger and frustration, but he gets to the point where he tells God, I would rather die than see these people forgiven. There's a few things I see here in this story that I think we can, we can pull out of it. One, that God is more loving, more patient, more forgiving than we can ever imagine. Like, think how good God is, how loving, how patient, how forgiving he is, and he's more than that. He's more loving, more patient, more forgiving than we can ever imagine. Jonah is sulking. He is literally, he's literally just used by God to go and like share this message of hope to the people of Nineveh, to tell them that, that um, they, they can be forgiven and now that it happened, he's sulking. Another thing I kind of grab from this, maybe this isn't like for you, for me, this reminds me that God can even use bad preaching to reach people, right? Because you know Jonah's heart wasn't in it when he's walking through Nineveh and like, hey, God, I don't know, guys, God, there's judgment coming, 40 days. Um, you know, you know he, didn't, he wasn't like, there wasn't passion behind it. He's like, I don't really want you to be forgiven. Um, Somehow, God still used it, right? He hated what God had just done. He didn't want to be any part of it. He wanted nothing to do with it. He said, I'd rather die. I think oftentimes our view of God is shaped by a theology that's very performance-driven, very dualistic in thinking. Many, many see the world in, this, in these dualistic terms where there are good people and there are bad people. There are sinners and there are saints. There's us and there's them. A world where, where people stay true to labels and categories that we ascribe to them. It's easier to assume that God is with us more than he is with them, right? There's this, this dual, dualistic thinking of like there's, an, there's, there's us who God obviously loves and there's them who God does not. And there's us who we, we should get God's forgiveness and then there's them who should not. The problem here is that when Jonah realizes that God also loves the Ninevites and has forgiven them, he's not okay with it. If this is the type of God you're going to be, then I want nothing to do with it. Just kill me. But obviously this is like an Old Testament story, Old Testament stuff. We could never imagine modern day Christians getting upset about God loving people that they don't. That's just crazy, right? Like this is pre-Jesus. Um, it is this we couldn't see that obviously after seeing how Jesus loved and was for all people that that's fixed the mindset amongst Christians right we understand now that when we put a limit on God's love God's love extends past our limits to remind us just how big his love really is 
I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. The second thing I, I kind of grasp from this is that God's love and grace, they're not fair. And that's a good thing. Like this, this is where it's, it's okay for it to not be fair. Jonah, once he finds out that God has forgiven and shown grace to the Ninevites, he goes off and sulks, even complains to God, just, just kill me now. He's sitting in the hot sun. God provides the shade for him. Jonah's loving it. You know, life was looking up. Then he wakes up, the shade tree has withered, and he's angry again. And God's response, what do you have to be angry about with a shade tree? I think this whole exchange is God trying to get Jonah to snap to the idea that God has also provided Jonah all of the things he's angry about God providing the Ninevites. Nothing Jonah did earned this shade tree. In fact, God's response to Jonah's anger and sulking is just protection and comfort. I'm going to love you even in the midst of your pity party. God is saying, Jonah, all the things you said about me, that I am sheer grace and mercy, that I'm not easily angered, that I'm rich in love, that I'm ready at the drop of a hat to turn my plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness, that's what I've also done for you. You're no different than them. Paul says it this way in Ephesians. Rob read this same verse last week. Ephesians 2, verse 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not for, from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. It, it's not by your works, because if it were by your works, you would boast about it, Jonah. This is not by your works, so you can't boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Jonah, you didn't earn this. All the things that you said about me, that's what I've given you. You only know that I'm sheer grace and mercy and loving and patient and forgiving because you have received that. And now, I'm offering it to the Ninevites. The third thing I want to point out is that we're not the grace givers nor the controllers of its distribution. When we gatekeep God's grace, love, and acceptance, we're like Jonah sulking in the hot sun. We cut ourselves off from God's provision and grace because we think we earn our right to be with God through who we are or what we've done. There's some mindset that says that because I've done this, I have been pleasing enough to God to receive his grace and his forgiveness and his love and his acceptance. But this story shows us that, no, 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 it's not what Jonah's done. It's actually who God is. Paul talking to the Galatians, it's when the Galatians who are Gentiles, they're not Jews. They've received this message of Jesus. They're not under Jewish law. Gentiles are not Jews. They're not under the same laws as the Jews. And so in this moment in Galatians, these, the Galatians are being told by some Jews that they must follow all of the laws if they want to be right with God. Paul's gone in. He shared this message of Jesus and grace to these people of Galatia. He's told them that this is what you've received because of who Jesus is. And then some Jews come into the church and they start to sprinkle in a little bit of law. Like, no, no, no. But you still have to follow these laws in order for God to be happy with you. And one of those laws is you got to be circumcised. Because that's what the law says for the Jews, that you must be circumcised in order to be in the family. And so there's these adult men 
in the church of Galatia that are being told in order to make God happy or to be made right with God, you, you who are uncircumcised need to be circumcised. And Paul gets word of this, that they're being taught this, and he says this in Galatians 5, verse 2. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. If you do this, if you step into law and you want to follow these rules and do everything that the law says to do in order to show that you are worthy to God, then you must keep all the laws. So if you want to enter into that, just know this isn't the first one. Circumcision may sound rough, but it's not the only one. He says, if you do that, then you, must, you are obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor un uncircumcision has any value. We're all like, whew. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. If you think you can earn God's love, grace, approval, through your works and actions of keeping up some religious rule set, then you have, then Paul says you've cut yourself off from grace altogether. Because grace makes no sense in that type of system. If you think you can earn God's love, earn God's acceptance, earn God's approval, then grace makes no sense because you can't mix those two. Grace is the, literally the definition is unmerited, unfavored, unearned. You, you don't get it by doing something that proves it. That, the definition of grace is you didn't earn this, but you get it. Paul says if you were trying to earn it, you've cut yourself off from grace. God didn't remove his grace from you. You just chose a different system. And Paul says, good luck. We tried that. The whole point of Jesus was we can't make this work through the law. Thank God that Jesus came and we received grace and acceptance through him. Because now, there's no proving of anything. It's already happened. So just like with Jonah, in that story, God is saying, you didn't earn any of this. You didn't earn this grace, this love, this acceptance, this mercy. It was all freely given to you, just as it was freely given to the Ninevites, who you think didn't deserve it. I think in this, the, the undertone of this is God saying, well, neither did you. That's the entire point of grace. It's unmerited, it's unearned, it's freely given. You want to experience God's grace? Then just allow it into your life. You want to experience God's grace? Stop trying to prove yourself to him and realize that you're already accepted and loved. You want to share God's grace? Then, then just know that God's heart is even bigger than you thought it was, and it is for them, whoever them might be. Like that person? Yes. What about this one? Yes. Have you seen the meme where uh, Jesus is sitting? It's like it's a drawing. Jesus is sitting. There's a bunch of guys around, and he's like, "Well, what about these people, Jesus? Like whoever, like name a per like person, group. Like what about these people?" 
And Jesus, the meme is, Jesus is like, yes, even those who ask stupid questions. Uh, it's like, yes, all of them, all, all, yeah, them, yes, yes, yeah, that, that, my grace is for them, yes. Jonah's like, the, the Ninevites? No, I knew you were going to do this, because I, I knew this is who you were, that's why I didn't want to go. Because the moment I go, and they hear about your grace, you're just going to give it to them. God's like, yeah, just like I did for you. If you get frustrated with who God allows into his family or at his table, then I think you might be setting standards in your mind that God hasn't placed there. This is, these are your standards. You've now taken over who gets to sit at the table. We've talked about this so many times. It's not your table. It's God's. You have a seat there, freely given. Yeah, please, come sit down. This is your seat. You are at the family table. The moment someone else comes and sits at the family table that you don't think should sit there, God goes, whoa, 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 whoa. You didn't pay for this seat. This isn't your table. This is, this is mine. And the fact that you're here is not something that you earned, but something I freely gave you. And while you think life might not be fair, you're right. It's not. Welcome to grace. Life's not fair. It's amazing, though. Because our God is sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, rich in love, ready at the drop of a hat to turn plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. That's what he did through the person of Jesus. We had this idea that we were under this, like, oh, man, we're going to be punished. Like, we, we, we haven't done what we're supposed to do. And God goes, no, no, you're forgiven. Welcome to my grace through the person of Jesus. You, me, them, we're all invited to experience God's love, which carries all of these characteristics that Jonah said he already knew about him. And as Paul says in Galatians 5, 6, at the end of this explanation to the Galatians of like, if you want to enter into law, you, you have to keep it all. But I recommend grace. It's, it's definitely the better option. And then he says, as he ends his statement to the Galatians, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Because once you grasp God's sheer grace, God's mercy, God's patience, God's love, God's forgiveness for all people, you included, you put your faith in this promise of Jesus, then you get to extend that promise through love to everyone else. There's not, there's not a gate that is kept. It is, it's everyone. You, you have received it. Now you get to share it. Once you grasp it, you step into this place where you realize that this gift we've received through Jesus isn't fair, it's freely given then you begin to trust God's love for you. And as you trust God's love for you, then you begin to become free to go love others well. Because you realize that's who you were made to be. As a conduit of God's love, sharing it with 
all people. Realizing there's no dualism of us versus them, but we are all image bearers and creations of God. And so now, we have stepped into grace. We have received grace. We received that love. Allow yourself to receive it, to, to, to live in it, to realize that all the things that you think about yourself that say, I'm not good enough, God has said, no, you, you, you are. You're mine. You're my kid. I created you. I'm so in love with you. Brittany said earlier, there's nothing you can do to make me love you less. There's nothing you can do to make me love you more. Because God's character is unconditional love. That is who God is. Jonah knew it, so he didn't want to go share it. He's like, I don't, don't, I don't want him to know. Let's not be those people. Because when we receive God's love, we share it. So Arsenal, we say it every week. Go love well. It's who you were made to be. Thank you for listening. Our hope is that you feel loved and encouraged. If you have questions or need prayer, please email hello at thearsenal.church and don't forget to download the Arsenal Church app.